Hello and welcome to the first episode of Hashtag Disruption Dialogues, a markets and markets podcast series for growth-minded strategy, market intelligence and competitive intelligence professionals. Today, our host Pranjal Sharma is in discussion with Marcelo Di Prado, Vice President Marketing and Strategy at Thermo Fisher. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Disruption Dialogues with Markets and Markets. I'm Pranjal Sharma. I'm an author based in New Delhi. And joining me for a conversation is Marcelo Prado. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Pranjal. Marcelo, it's a very exciting topic that we're talking about, about the labs of the future. Now, uh, you know, this is a thing which you think about in science fiction. You you see it in all these uh, superhero movies about strange things coming out of the labs and taking over our lives. But it's really a very serious concept because especially in the post-COVID world, uh, laboratory is where all innovation is happening, scientific innovation is happening. Um, and, you know, it's always futuristic in many ways, but in a post-COVID world, how would you define labs of the future? Yeah, Pranjal, it's, uh, uh, we're living during exciting times, right? There's a, there's a lot of disruption, there's a lot of change, and uh, lab of the future, it's not a new concept, right? But it, it in, in my point of view, it changed a little bit after COVID. So there's a number of companies that have been experimenting with this concept of lab of the future, right? And what I mean by that is that uh, there's a number of companies and, and researchers that have been, you know, increasing the level of automation in their labs and, you know, have been experimenting with robotics, all of the topic around uh, uh, IoT, AR, VR. What I think happened after COVID is uh, companies perceived that uh, and realized that they had to accelerate some of those developments, pilots, um, you know, conceptual uh, uh, tasks that they, were, that they were doing. And I think that they also had to realize that, uh, you know, we required a more holistic approach Right, instead of just doing all of these experiments within the lab or being very punctual about you know, automating a specific workflow or a specific part of the lab, I think companies are taking this more seriously and taking a more holistic approach. It's across different industries, right, Marcelo? Because we are not talking about only the chemicals industry, but really this innovation in the futures oriented perspective is happening across several industries. Is that correct? That's correct, right? When, when we say labs, right, you could be thinking about a company like, uh, you know, Axon. They have their labs and they use their labs in their, in their process to analyze samples and control quality. You could be talking about a company like Nestle or PepsiCo, right? that, uh, you know, test their food, uh, test for pesticide levels and make sure that everything that we, we eat and everything that they put out is uh, is safe. You could be talking about a municipal uh, uh, lab that tests water quality. And, and of course, I think the more classic example is all of the pharma, biopharma companies with, with their R&D, right? Just testing new compounds and new samples and putting out medicines. So it's a, it cut across all of the industries. And, you know, depending where we are, where you are, depending on the level of disruption that you're that you're feeling, I would say, you know, there are more or less incentives for you to, to adopt something like Lab of the Future, but it really touches every, every kind of company out there. That's interesting to know because people tend to put the lab as a concept only in a very technical and scientific space but you know from food to almost every product that we consume and use there is a lab somewhere which has created a product or a surface which we are using. 
what i found very interesting marcelo is that you know in your thoughts and i've been reading about what you believe in is that while everybody is talking about the increase of technology you say that lab of the future is about a business strategy and not a it strategy now that's really putting the entire concept on its head but can you can you help us understand what you mean by saying that it's a business approach which is important and not a pure it approach yeah and and, and this is uh this is a very important um concept and uh, uh, we did some research and we talked to a number of companies and, and what we realized is that when you, when you talk about lab of the future the more evident uh, aspect is the is the IT piece right it's the IT infrastructure it's the data management is some of the softwares that we have that uh, basically you know control the information flow that that happens uh, uh, in a lab but um, what we realize is that a lot of companies and the way they should be thinking about this is that it's a driver for growth. So if you go back to some of the examples that, that we talked about, what some companies are really realizing is that with, with a lab of the future type of business strategy, they can unlock capacity right in their labs by automating more basic workflows and more basic activities. And they can actually concentrate their workforce and part of their capacity in creating new services and new offerings for their customers, right? So what we realize is that, you know, you know, the more visionary companies are really thinking about lab of the future as a driver for growth by creating new offerings or by, you know, in, improving the quality, improving the flexibility, collaboration. Uh, when you talk about R&D and really, you know, uh, increasing the speed to market of some of their, you know, products. If you think about, a, you know, a pharma or a biopharma company and in some other areas like uh, food testing, uh, environmental testing, it's really about, you know, being able to test new compounds and create new offerings for, for other companies. So this is this is not an IT strategy. Right, it it's typically typically starts with uh, uh, with uh, some sort of IT experiment, or it starts with under the CIO, if you will. But this really should evolve to a complete business strategy. Let me uh, stay with this point for a minute. There is going to be technology. There's no doubt. There will be automation. There would be connected devices, uh, instruments which work independent of each other, have to now talk to each other. Um, there is also, of course, the potential of collaboration over remote locations. So there is a lot of technology, but still you say that business strategy has to come first. So how would you advise business leaders and CXOs to look at this? Because the first instinct is to look at connected technologies, but the business comes second. So how should a decision on this be made? Yeah, because it, and it's a great question. And, and I think the, the, the real answer, it varies company by company, right? I think it starts with, with a really putting together this, this vision of what Lab of the Future means for a specific company where they are and what's the roadmap to get there, right? As you said, there is a lot of IT investments and that's the more, that's the piece that it's more apparent and, and more real in some cases, but it's it's really about, uh, you know, driving growth and, and how Lab of the Future supports the overall business strategy, right? I'll, I'll give you a quick example, right? 
we, we touched uh, uh, very briefly, but for example, if you go to the CIO and you ask, okay, what is what is lab of the future for you? You will, you will get a question which is probably about, you know, I want to make sure that the data management, the data storage is taken care of. So there's probably a component of cloud strategy there. There's probably a component about software uh, connectivity and making sure that, um, you know, all, all of the software uh, components are talking to each other and connected. There's probably another aspect of security. And all of those are important, but they are only a piece of that, right? If you go to the R&D leader, you know, he's probably concerned about speed. He's probably concerned about quality or productivity, right? And, and one of the challenges that we also find very often is that for, you know, large network of labs for global companies, right? How do they increase collaboration, right? How do they make sure that whatever they are doing in the US, you know, they're getting the same type of results in India or in Australia or in China, right? So there's all of those things that are important and all of those things can be accomplished with Lab of the Future, right? And if you talk to the CEO, he's probably concerned about, you know, customer satisfaction, growth, return on investments, right? So, that, so that's why it is important that you put this in context of, you know, the whole company and the business strategy, because this should be able to support the business strategy, meanwhile addressing some of those individual components. That, that's a great point because you cannot look at it in parts. You have to look at it in a complete way so that once you have an objective in mind, then all other parts that you mentioned come together to deliver on that objective, you know, whether it's technology, whether it's connectivity, etc. But at the center of this is still the human, right? The skilled human uh, who has to maybe improve their own uh, behavior. What What is the new set of skills that the human who is in the center of the lab of future, what skills must that person have? Yeah, and it's also a good point, Pranjal, because it's often forgotten, right, that we have the human aspect uh, at the center of this. We, we used to hear a lot about, uh, you know, the dark lab, right, which was that lab that operated in the dark and nobody in, right? That That is the science fiction part of, of the digital uh, or the lab of the future, right? Because uh, the human element is still going to be present there right but we, what we also found out is that uh, it's going to be a different type of uh, 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 roles and responsibilities for you know researchers and lab personnel right they're they're basically uh, if you think about um, you know the digital aspects the automation the robotics that it's coming into the labs all of that is going to automate a lot of the activities you know around the sample prep Right, typically when you analyze something in a lab, you have to prepare that sample and that it's uh, you know, done manually in many of, uh, of labs. So there's a big automation and free up the time of, uh, of researchers for that. There is also a lot of connectivity happening, right? Between instruments, between software packages, that it's also gonna, gonna free up time uh, of researchers. So what we're finding out is that um, um, there's gonna be a, you know, upskilling of existing uh, lab personnel, 
uh, but there is also gonna be different requirements for hiring personnel in a lab, right, in, in, the, in the near to midterm future, right? You have to, you have to basically find people that, uh, you know, knows how to navigate in a more digital environment, but also bring that, um, that application expertise, you know, whether you are working in food testing or, you know, in pesticide analysis or, um, you know, in water uh, analysis, right? That's the, that's the human element that it, you know, will not go away. It's that exp application expertise, but all of the other, you know, more trivial tasks, they're going to be automated, right? And a lot of the analysis is going to be done by more powerful analytics uh, software packages. Marcelo, do you see that the existing lab professional, as you said, has to improve their skill. But do you also see perhaps a new category of professionals entering the lab in the future? Uh, I think so, right? If, if you look around, one of the things that it's happening, pro probably two things that might drive that is we hear a lot of our customers talking about connected instruments. Right. And when you have a more connected fleet, a couple of things happen. Right. One is that uh, you are able to troubleshoot, you know, uh, remotely. And we're doing that today. But it also we also see a lot of customers saying, I want to have more control of, you know, my instruments and my lab. So I want to be able to do some sort of maintenance, uh, light maintenance myself. So one of the one of the areas that uh, we see some some companies going to is that I want to have my my lab personnel, you know, get more involved in maintenance, which is something that you don't see today. And the other area that you see is that today there's a lot of back and forth when you when you get when you run a sample and you have data and you use multiple uh, uh, software packages to analyze that uh, that data. There is a um, there's a science factor for sure, but there's also a little bit of art, right? And that's the application expertise that, that I mentioned. And I think that we will see more and more people with uh, deep application expertise, right? And uh, in some labs, you have a, a strong regulatory environment, right? That you have to comply. You have, uh, you know, EPA methods that you have to, to follow, or you have FDA rules that you have to follow. So all of that today falls on, on the lab personnel. And, you know, part of that, it's probably going to be automated in, in the future. What is the role that you are playing, Marcelo, you know, uh, you and Thermo Fisher Scientific in terms of bringing this concept to industry leaders? Are there some innovative new concepts or ideas that you are persuading business leaders and even perhaps policymakers to look at? Yeah, so we, we have our own labs. Uh, you know, we do we do a fair amount of research. So we, we we're also on that journey, right? But as as a, as a supplier or as a vendor, right? We have a couple of things that um, uh, we have today. So we, we do um, provide a lot of uh, uh, analytical instruments and, and consumables and sample preparation offerings. We have the lab information management system. Uh, which is also a big piece of the lab of the future. Where we're playing a, a big role, I would say, uh, Pranjal, it's really helping customers think about their roadmap, right? Because as I mentioned to you, every company has a different roadmap. There's not a recipe. Every company has its own strategy. And the lab of the future really has to support right, the execution of that strategy going forward. And sometimes people might, you know, get started with, uh, you know, instrument connectivity, right? And we can help with that. Sometimes it starts with data management, right? And, you know, just thinking about that data governance, you know, cloud strategy. And, and again, we, 
we can help with that. We don't supply that, we, but we can help, actually help companies just think through the, the roadmap and just being a partner to them through the, through the whole journey. That's a, that's a great point you make, Marcelo, because it brings to mind the other element that today's world is collaborative in the sense that everything is not centralized in one city or one center of innovation. Uh, different centers have to collaborate. Large companies, including uh, uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific, would be working across different teams, across different countries and geographies. Uh, how important is that element of collaborating, co-innovating, to have maybe a solution maybe developed in one place, but applied in another. There is also this dialogue that you have to solve for the local problem and not necessary for a problem you think which needs to be solved because I have a solution. You have to use my solution even if you don't really need it. So, <laughs> you know, uh, we are moving away from that to a situation where we say that my problem in India would be different from the problem in Colombia and different from the problem in in uh, Belgrade, uh, for example. So how is that uh, impacting your approach? Yeah, and it's uh, so collaboration, it's it's key. And when we did the research, one one of the things that we asked it was, you know, what what's the main challenge that you face today? And, and the number one challenge was really finding a partner to, to help me through this journey, right? Because, uh, you, you know, if you, if you think about all of the components of the uh, uh, lab of the future, there is not a single company that can supply all of that, right? So, you know, the challenge is there. It's really about finding a partner or partners, right? That can help you, you know, think about the roadmap, think about the journey and, you know, where do we get started and how do we extract value from that, right? How do we, how does this lab of the future supports, uh, you know, your strategy and your growth ambitions? So the learnings are very important as well, right? And, and we see a number of companies, right? If you go to, you know, the, all of the large pharmaceutical companies, Novartis, Pfizer, um, you know, Glaxo Welcome, Takeda, all of them uh, have been sharing uh, some of their learnings. Of course, there is a lot of proprietary information that, uh, you know, companies don't share. You know, I think, I think the collaboration aspect is key, right? And uh, it, it's really about finding that right partner, right, to help you through this journey. You know, that, that partner is important and as you also said, uh, working with different teams across different places is also uh, important. I, I want to talk a little bit more about the future of the future, if I can say that. <laughs> the future of the future is very interesting, Marcelo. So, in the next three years, I think I would say that the change in inside a lab would be more than perhaps what was seen in the previous 10 years or 15 years. Uh, in terms of the radical shift that you are referring to. Uh, give us a vision of the future, Marcelo. In three years, what should business leaders be looking at? Uh, what should they be uh, ready for or preparing themselves for? Yeah, I think maybe if I could, do, you know, think about three major areas um, to answer your questions. I, I would say we're probably going to be starting to see a big shift in how we think about software in the labs, right? Today, just to give you an idea, today, every time you buy an analytical instrument, right, a, you know, liquid chromatography comes with its own software, and then depending on what you're doing, 
with, with that instrument, you might have other software packages. All of those software packages don't talk to each other typically, right? So I think that in the next three years, what we're gonna see is we're gonna see a big shift in terms of connected software packages, right? So large packages that are gonna be in the lab and helping researchers, you know, just be more productive and, you know, be consistent and, you know, just use data and data analytics power in a, in a, a more integrated way, right? I think that's one big change that, uh, you know, we we're starting to see. I think the other change, it's really around automation in, in robotics. I think that for some labs, uh, we're gonna see an increased level of automation, uh, not only in sample prep, but uh, you know across the whole workflow. And uh, we're starting to see that um, you know accelerate after COVID, right? So I expect that in the next three years we're gonna see even more automation going there. And, and I think the other thing that we're gonna start to see, which is not related to the future, but we're starting to see some changes in, in the lab personnel workforce, right? Uh, we all read about the big resignation, but uh, if you think about COVID as well, a lot of labs had to put in, in place uh, safety measures for their personnel. They had to restrict access, they had to restrict the number of people. Uh, so they have, they have been thinking about how do they think about the, the workforce and how the workforce interacting in the lab. So I think we're gonna start to see changes in the workforce, uh, the beginning of those changes, uh, primarily driven by the other two, right? The more integrated software packages we're gonna be seeing and also the increased level of automation and robotics in labs. Another interesting trend, uh, Marcelo, is the you know miniaturization of various equipment in the labs and maybe instruments. Now, many instruments, especially in the healthcare sector, which were only found in the hospital uh, or in the lab, are now very common products in homes of consumers. You know, an oximeter, for example, you just put it on your finger and you know what it is. Yeah. Earlier, I had to go to the doctor and go to a general physician. Uh, several such things are happening in our vehicles. It is happening in our wearable technology. And all of this is the result of the shift towards miniaturization, or, or at least the size of everything is going smaller and becoming more effective. Is that something which is critical in your view in the lab of the future? I, I think it is, right? One of the one of the aspects that always limit uh, a lab, it's a bench space, right? So the footprint of instruments, you know, the footprint of everything that you put on a bench, it's uh, it's typically well thought out and, um, you know, it's, it's prime real estate, right? So there's a trend, I would say, in, in terms of uh, uh, having instruments perform um, more than um, a single activity activity, right, or a single workflow. There are uh, another trend around uh, what we call MAM, multi-attribute methods instruments, so instruments that can perform different types of applications uh, within uh, within them. But uh, there is also another trend, which is the uh, customization of, uh, of medicine, right? Based on your, you know, your DNA results and, you know, your DNA profile, you know, we're gonna start to see more and more medicine and methods that are, you know, customized to you and me in the future, right? And that goes through all of these trends that you mentioned about miniaturization. Um, you know, the consumer side of the of the medicine, uh, you know, increasing more and more. But if you think about the lab, you know, that trend has been going on for a while just because of limited space. I, I want to uh, request you to share a couple of stories and case studies, Marcelo. 
uh, where you have been able to uh, make a strong uh, impact on some of your clients. Can you share a couple of stories where a success story where you think that this approach made a big difference to a company? You don't have to name the company, but uh, you know, a story like this would be really helpful. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll think about one. Yes, and I can't share the name of the company. But uh, if if you think about uh, one one area where we have been working, uh, as I mentioned, is uh, it's pharmaceuticals, right? And uh, you know that's an area where uh, we traditionally partner with all of the large uh, pharma companies. And as I mentioned uh, to you, um, a lot of these pharma companies have been experimenting with something that you know it might be called lab of the future but it might be something related to instrument connectivity it might be related to automation right particularly around sample prep and we have been elevating this discussion because typically what we have done in the past is we we end our entry point is through the lab right so we enter typically through our r d um, the CIOs, is, the CIO or the IT personnel is typically not someone who is, you know, involved in regular discussions, day-to-day -day discussions with, with Thermo Fisher, right? That has been changing uh, um, uh, lately. So one of the things that we have been doing, it's really uh, uh, talking to the leadership of the company and really making sure that they understand uh, where they are, right? And that they understand what's the roadmap and how they should be thinking about this. And more importantly, what they are trying to do in terms of how they're gonna be measuring, um, you know, the effectiveness of this program, right? Because this is a multi-year type of program. It requires investment, right? And it has to be extremely tied to the, uh, to the business strategy. So a lot of the things that we have been doing, it's really not in terms of uh, only supplying uh, equipment or supplying automation or, or software, but it's really just talking to C-level uh, at companies and just help them think through this, right? Just be a soundboard in terms of, you know, just just tell me what you're trying to do. Just just share with me what is your roadmap. Because again, we can bring a lot of that experience in terms of, uh, you know, just making sure that they have, you know, the best roadmap in, in place that, uh, you know, helps their strategy. So that, that's a lot of what we have been doing. In some areas, we have been uh, providing more punctual um, offerings. Like uh, we have, we have taken a, a few customers, and we did a step one with them, where we connected all of their instruments, right? So that's one of the steps in the roadmap, right? Uh, we supplied a, a, a Leams software, which is the lab information management system, right? So all of those things we can do, and we have been uh, traditionally doing. But I would say more and more. Companies are seeing are seeking us just to use us as soundboard and, and really help them put together this roadmap and think more holistically about this journey. It's an interesting combination. One has to look at the long-term and the medium-term roadmap for a business objective, but also takes decision right now to make sure that when you invest in the lab, it is with a very clear idea of impacting every aspect uh, of the business, uh, but CEOs and the boards like to look at the return on investment. So you may say right. it is for, you know, long-term roadmap, but they also want to know, okay, how am I going to benefit in the next quarterly results? How do you how do you answer that? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And, and again, I think there's not a recipe for, for all of the companies. So the, the, for some companies, there is a growth aspect, right? So there's a revenue uh, uh, increase. Uh, for some other companies, there is a productivity aspect, right? In terms of, uh, you know, the automation or, you know, you, you, there are human her- errors that happen in, in a lab, right? So you the elimination of all of those errors by bringing a more automated, more um, uh, integrated type of process. Uh, so there's a productivity aspect um, and there's also a quality aspect, right? In, in some cases, you have to reproduce that, ex- that specific or that exact method, right? Across the globe. And, you know, the instruments vary, sample prep uh, vary, you know, the lab personnel are different. So how do you guarantee the same quality, the same results are being achieved globally? So all of those things for some companies are worth um, a lot of money, and, and that's where traditionally the uh, the business case comes from, right? The return comes from. There's another aspect in terms of uh, um, you know just reducing uh, waste, uh, but it's not a I would say it's not a big driver, right? It's really about uh, quality, productivity, and growth. Finally, uh, Marcelo, I want to ask you to focus on one one aspect which you refer to, but the biggest value that the lab of the future will create is data. Data which is integrated, connected, it is data which will create value not, not just for now, but for, for years to come and not just for one sector. Data from one sector can help data from another sector and all of this can be mixed and matched for for fantastic ideas and patterns. Is that something which you would put a lot of emphasis on and tell the business leaders that this is the greatest value that they can get? Are they good examples of that? I think I think there are some companies that where data uh, will provide a lot of value, right? There, there's always uh, proprietary aspects on, on, on the data. And there's also the collaboration aspect, right? Particularly when you talk about research and development. So how do you how do you share data effectively? And you know how do you make sure that um, again you're you know sharing that intelligence and making sure that everybody's leveraging that? So data is very valuable to a lot of the companies that that we talk to. You know, particularly if you're having to research and development, that data has a lot of value. Thank you, Marcelo. I think this is a good time to end the conversation, though I know we could talk for much longer, but perhaps we can come back and continue this conversation in another edition of this podcast. Thank you to everybody who's been listening to us. I'm Pranjal Sharma, and I was in conversation with Marcelo Prado, Vice President, Global Marketing Strategy of Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thank you again. Thanks, Pranjal. Thank you for listening to Hashtag Disruption Dialogues. If you are a strategy or market intelligence professional, we invite you to join our community on LinkedIn, Hashtag Disruption Dialogues.